Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you that um, we are here to worship you. Uh, whether it, again, it's been preparing our hearts uh, even before we come to church, that we are preparing to, to draw near to you with your people, and we, we praise you and thank you because of the gospel. Again, that, that is the, the means by which you save sinners. And that, Lord God, that as we uh, pray, as we uh, uh, participate in Sunday school, as we uh, enter into the time of worship with hearing the word preached and sung, Lord, it is all focused upon you upon your grace, upon your, your, your glory, how great you are. And so I would pray again that uh, this time that we meet together uh, is led by your spirit, it is glorifying to you, it is um, edifying to your people, and we just thank you for this privilege, and we just, want, we just pray for your blessing upon it, and we ask these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome. Um, I'm back. <laughs> That got rid of me. No. Okay. But uh, I will say this is that um, I know the first thing you're probably thinking is that what's in the bag? No, that's not the first thing you're thinking. It's probably how long will this guy be around this time? This lesson, this series is going, I promise you, is going to go four. Not four years. Four months. Four months. Okay. So when Christmas comes around, my gift to you will be the the, the uh, Christian and a, another person will reach the celestial city. And so we will be done by then. And then, of course, uh, somebody else will, uh, will bless you when we enter into the new year. Um, there's lots and lots and lots of stuff we'll be talking about. We are focusing on John Bunyan and the Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, I, the good thing about Pilgrim's Progress, the Pilgrim's Progress, is that this is not a book unfamiliar to you. Uh, last year, the church had a reading list that they recommended that small groups would uh, read, and, and the Pilgrim's Progress was on there. I was a little bit jealous about that when I saw that up. They're, like, oh, they're, they're still in my thunder. But at the same time, as a teacher, you always like when your students have prior knowledge. So there's a familiarity with that. There's a, um, you, know, you already have a, a good idea what the story's about. You probably, my guess is, uh, first of all, how, how many people have, have read Pilgrim's Progress here? Okay, yeah, a majority, okay, majority, okay. And probably not once, not twice, but probably multiple times, right? Um, and so, you know, it's a classic, it's a classic. And so when I say the word classic, when you think of classic literature, what, what makes literature classic? It lives on. It lives on, what else? Always in What's that? Always in fad. Always in fad. That's right. So you think again of uh, Moby Dick, for example, or The Scarlet Letter, uh, Harry Potter. No, not Harry Potter. Excuse me. Okay, you get the idea. I'm, you know what? I'm going to mix it up here a little because I can, you know, okay. I've been away for a while. Your credibility. I know, I know. I, there we go. But I can tell people awake now. <laughs> All right, well, I'll get back to Harry Potter in a minute. Okay, so the point being, of course, is that uh, it is a classic for a very good, very good. It's a Christian classic. In Christian history, there are books um, that are Christian classics for a reason. 
uh, again, there's something different about them. There's a, there's a quality to them that is enduring, that you can uh, literally, you can re read it over and over and over again and discover something new, right? That's one thing, is, so it's like uh, classical music or classical literature or something that's classical, there's a, um, a depth to it, and especially from Christian literature that God uses to minister to you, to bless you, to help your children, your families, and so on and so forth. And so those kinds, of, uh, besides the Bible, uh, classical literature is very, very valuable, okay? So uh, we're gonna be focusing on John Bunyan today, an introduction to him, and then eventually get into the, the book itself, The Pilgrim's Progress. Now, um, let's talk about the, you know, the next usually question is what, which version are you using? Yes. Okay. Yes. Whatever version you're using is, except if it's the baby bunions, and I want to use no baby bunions, okay? We'll talk about baby bunions, all right? <laughs> They're not allowed, okay? But the, uh, there is a multitude of versions of the Pilgrim Progress that's out there. I prefer using a modern version. Uh, if you want to go old King James, please go ahead and do that. Uh, but I will have clips from the book in your notes, and since you have a familiarity with the story already, then therefore we can make that transition, and n nobody has to worry about going out and buying a new version and all that kind of stuff, right? Now, some books in connection with the Pilgrim's Progress. Now, you already know we'll get into the, the, the you know some of the you know why is it the classic, why is it so popular, and so on and so forth. So what I've got in my bag here is a, is a number of things, and I'll have here a reading list on there too, is I've got a version of the Pilgrim's Progress. You can tell it's a little bit beat up, okay? I've got a number of beat up versions of the Pilgrim's Progress. Um, you can buy, um, I mean, literally, it's amazing how many editions this book has gone through. It's never been out of print. It's never been out of print. Uh, it's been translated into over 200 foreign languages. Okay, uh, usually when, we'll see here, when missionaries, when they would, uh, missionary societies would go and bring Bible translations to a country, this would usually be the book that would accompany it. Okay, so it tells you something about the value uh, to, again, with missionary efforts and catechism and teaching people about uh, basic Christian doctrine, this book carries a lot of weight in that way, no pun intended, for those who got that. It was a Jesus film before... Uh... Yeah, it was a Jesus film before... Thank you, Jeff, that's right. And um, so this, this is just one copy of that. I'll also, my magic bag here, um, I've got a biography. It's always nice to get to read a biography on Bunyan. There's lots and lots out there. You can go on, online and go to YouTube and stuff like that, and there's a plethora of, of stuff that's out there. I was watching yesterday... Steve Lawson, uh, his ministry, they do these tours to England, these Reformation tours, and they go to Bunyan Fields, Bunhill Fields, the, the cemetery where he's buried, and they, they just, there's just tons of information out there. So again, it always helps when you study a book to study the author, and gives you an idea of the, of the, the historical uh, context for the, why the book was written, and all that kind of stuff. Here's a Banner of Truth book, that no, notorious uh, publishing company. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, so I highly recommend them there. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, also, too, Bunyan's autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. Okay, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. How do you like to put that as your title for your autobiography? All right. Um, yes, you. That's right. So um, it's a little bit of a whooping to read. Okay, it's, it's, uh, Bunyan's pretty severe on himself. There's a lot of uh, interesting, I mean, it gives a lot of background to the Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, one thing that's irritating about this is he has no dates and no, no time references. And so a lot of times when you're trying to uh, align his story with the Pilgrim's Progress, 
a few other things, it's a little bit confusing. So, but it's always good to, again, if you want to really seriously get into the author, Bunyan's autobiography is really, really good. Um, also, too, we've got John Piper. John Piper, all right? Um, Piper did a series called The Swans Are Not Silent. I don't know if any of you have that series. I would highly recommend it, all right? And this is book number two. And what he does is he, he picks three, uh, three historical individuals. In this case, uh, you got John Bunyan, you got uh, William Cowper, and David Brainerd. I think I said those names right. And uh, the subtitle on this is Hidden Smile of God, the, the Fruit of Affliction in the Lives of John Bunyan, Cowper, and, and Brainerd. And so uh, Piper, we'll be seeing a little quote from him in our, in our notes here. Uh, but uh, he's a really good job uh, as far as uh, looking at his life and his ministry in connection with Pilgrim's Progress. Now, since I'm going to mix it up uh, with my presentations, it's a multimedia extravaganza. Okay? It's a sensory experience, all right? So, um, yeah. Okay, so, um, and one, so we have videos, okay? And so what I'll, what I'll uh, try to do is I'll try to do, use clips, pull clips at certain points to kind of give you a visual aspect on that. Um, I've, no, I'm not gonna say, we, we have a little bit of techno difficulties. Apparently DVDs are not used anymore. But um, this is from the 70s. This is actually from uh, 1979, if you were alive then, all right? Um, you have this really uh, well-known actor, uh, how do you say, is it Liam Neeson? Yeah, you know, I've got skills, right? Okay, so, um, but he apparently had kids as his first feature film was playing the Pilgrim's Progress. And what's really weird is he plays like every character. Like other than Pilgrim, like Evangelist shows up, I'm Evangelist. And he shows up, I'm Help. And he shows up, you know, and he's like, he's the same person, just like a different hat. <laughs> so it's a little irritating, by quite honestly. It's it's very 70-ish. If you ever lived in the 70s, you know what 70-ish is. Okay, I'll let you, yeah. Um, this one here, 2009 came out. I like this one. I don't know if you guys have this in your house at all. Um, it's pretty good. It sticks to the story pretty well. All right, I'll show you this. I Okay, yeah, we'll get into that. So that's not too bad. He's got a broadsword and a shield, so that's got to be cool anyway. And this came out not too long ago. This, this, and I don't know if you were driving down the freeway. Weird. It's weird. Yeah, thank you. Yes, <laughs> it's weird. Um, this was a kind of evangelistic type thing. They, they released this, uh, this version in the movie theaters, all right? And it's interesting because you do have Christian companies that are trying to find inroads. You know, so we have, obviously... C.S. Lewis, uh, Narnia, right? Okay, so that, Tolkien, who was Roman Catholic, you know, you got that kind of stuff here. So this is for Protestants, this is, I think as close as we get to, you know, trying to do some fantasy kind of thing. Um, the, this is done as a cartoon uh, type thing, three dimension kind of thing. It's not bad, but it's not great either, all right? If you're a purist, okay, and Puritan purist, um, and you really like the story and you understand, again, all the, all the different characters and all the lessons that are, that are tied into this, they always do uh, um, some kind of new version of that, and they take stuff out and they add new things. And so you, you get really disappointed a lot of times with some of these. So maybe someday somebody will do something that's a little bit more faithful to the source material. Um, we'll see. Then finally, we got music. Um, now, uh, this is by a, uh, a band called the Neil Morse Band. The Neil Morse Band. Now, I don't know, probably very few of you, you do, yes. Um, this is a, a kind of a progressive rock uh, version of the Pilgrim's Progress. It's uh, so if you're into, <laughs> I knew I was gonna take a risk even bringing this up here. Like, <laughs> we have the devil's music up here, and <laughs> if you want to compromise your conscience and uh, stumble people, flash this around, okay? Um, 
<laughs> okay, anyway, but you will find there's, there's a lot of mus musical artists and also painters and so on who would use the Pilgrim's Pride as inspiration. Concept art, uh, concept albums, and things like that. So th there's a whole industry built around Pilgrim's Progress. You're not aware of it. I even saw yesterday um, a lady was selling a, a watch, a Pilgrim's Progress watch. And I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. It's like, you know, you, you, know, you start at, you know, the, the City of Destruction, and it ends when you get to the Celestial City on your watch. I don't know uh, if you know what that means. Okay, so, um, uh, but there's a whole industry devoted to the Pilgrim's Progress, okay? And so... Um, I, I have my limits about how much garbage, I mean, Jesus junk, I'm willing to buy on certain, certain things, but a lot of it's pretty intriguing and uh, a little sad, too. All right, so one more thing here. I have a box here, and I'm not pulling a rabbit out, but I do have my white gloves, okay? Because I do, I don't do a lot, I don't have a lot of hobbies, and I don't collect a lot of stuff. I actually, well, but books, a few books, okay? And so, rare books, okay? And so, um, now the Pilgrim's Progress, like I said, has been around for a long time. You can literally go online and find old, 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 old copies of this. And they're pretty reasonable because part of the thing about something that gives, here's economics, something that gives something value, it's got to be scarce, and it's got to have utility. Right, it's got to have basically some kind of satisfaction you get from that. That's why your Beanie Babies will never become very valuable anymore in time. Okay, this was uh, this version here was uh, printed in 1933. Okay, so if you look for your historians out there, what was going on in 1933? Cold War. Is it the World War? The World War. What? No. The Great Depression. Oh. The Great Depression. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The Great Depression. I put you on the spot. Yeah. yeah, and so I always kind of imagine, again, individuals who were reading the same book I'm reading. I mean, you always think the Bible, you know, different time periods and things like that. And so someone who was going through all the troubles, all the struggles of the, of the Great Depression, this book would have been very, very valuable to them. Also, too, um, this is lectures on the Pilgrim's Progress from, from Overton, okay? And so anyone who's really into Pilgrim's Progress, the Cottage Lectures, as they're called, uh, this is a pretty valuable uh, book. I have to be really, really careful when I, when I use it. I, have, I always love the inscriptions because they always, you know, someone wrote in old ink, right? And this, the, the person who got this was in 1868. 1868, so the Civil War had only been over for a couple of years there. And I think, and this was actually published by a Sunday School organization, all right? Um, and so I think that this edition here was published in 1849, 49. So it's a little, got a little mileage on it, so I have to really be careful on that one. There you go, thank you, Russ, okay, yeah. And the life of Bunyan. So we always had biographies, and this one, let's see, I found, uh, this was, uh, the, the person wrote on this, December 25th, 1893. 18, some of you were around there. No, 1893. Okay, turn of the sense. Okay, you get the idea. So there's lots and lots of heritage. There's lots and lots of um, uh, connections here with the church as far as the past. Uh, and the Pilgrim's Progress has, has endured. It's connected us, especially in the West. When you think about, you know, I always say, you know, the, uh, the Bible is the, is the bestseller. It is the bestseller that's been published and, and all this kind of stuff. And then typically what they'll say is, that, well, the Pilgrim's Progress, it is the second uh, greatest seller uh, in the English-speaking world. There's probably some truth to that. It's hard to verify that. That's why I went online and actually looked at the best-selling English uh, books, okay? And I hate to tell you, Harry Potter, unfortunately, is actually, like, really, really high up there. Um, 
Okay, I'm just telling the truth, okay, just for, for truth and advertising here. So, but you already know again, because it's translated in different countries and different languages and so on, it is over 250 million different uh, publishings and translations. And so it's, it's, a, it's a massive book as far as its influence uh, and again, how it's been shared. Now on your outline here, if you have your outline, um, there's other resources here. You can go ahead and uh, I already mentioned a number of these already. Uh, John Calhoun, uh, Grace Abounding, uh, the Life Books and Influence of uh, John Bunyan. He was my, uh, my seminary history professor. Uh, he was a, kind of an expert on Bunyan at the time. He's no longer with us. Uh, White's book, uh, you have a number of books that, that look at the different characters. Okay, so White's book's there. Um, Spurgeon, 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 Spurgeon. You're gonna get a lot of Spurgeon in this section, okay? Because uh, Spurgeon loved the Pilgrim's Progress. He loved Bunyan. I mean, he was like a hardcore fan, all right? In fact, I think when him and his wife, when they got married, one of his wedding gifts to her was a copy of the Pilgrim's Progress. So yeah, it tells you how, yeah. And uh, when uh, at Bun Bunhill Fields, where he's buried, uh, when they inaugurated our, uh, the, his uh, tomb, uh, Spurgeon preached from his his gravesite and things like that. So 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 uh, Spurgeon was a uh, had a lot to say about Bunyan. Uh, Derek Thomas, Dr. Derek Thomas of the League of Air Ministries, he's done a whole series on the Pilgrim's Progress, and I highly recommend that. So if you get a chance to, and also too, if you don't know uh, Dr. Thomas, he's uh, he's British, all right. And he's got that accent. So every time anybody teaches on anything with an accent, I feel jealous about that. Because I have a squeaky voice, when I have to listen to my recordings and hear like, that's so annoying, okay? And so, um, so Thomas is actually pretty, uh, pretty soothing to be able to hear him. Uh, Rikens uh, has a very small guide for it, and then you have uh, the Postmodern Pilgrim's Progress by Kyle Mann and Joe Barry. Um, I thought this was interesting. I, I picked this up and read this. I was really, really, really disappointed. Uh, the, the two individuals, if you're not from with the names, uh, they're the guys who write the Babylon Bee. Okay, so some of you know Babylon B? Okay. So they're the dudes behind that. So I thought, oh, this is going to be really, really scathing. It's going to be a commentary about today's society. Nah, it's just weird. It's a postmodern kind of thing. And it's just, I was reading it, and I was, I'm thinking about Pilgrim's, you know, Bunyan's coming in at some point. It was just, I don't know. They, I don't know what they were shooting for. But, uh, so I don't recommend that book unless you just have no time on your hands and, just, and you find it somewhere. And then you have the little uh, Pilgrim's Progress, the baby Bunyans, I call them. Um, so again, if you want to do devotionals with your children, other than catechism or just reading a, a children's version of the Bible, there are a multitude, of, it seems like a rash this year alone, or a couple of years, there's been uh, publishers have been doing uh, a, a child's version of the Pilgrim's Progress. And of course, it's going to be really, really paraphrased, it's going to be really, really simplistic. Um, but again, some of you may have used these before and they're probably um, pretty uh, beneficial there. All right, any thoughts, questions? Okay, so before we get into why study uh, the Pilgrim's Progress, real quickly, um, favorite part of the book, since you're all experts, you've read it. In fact, if I'm not here someday, I'm just going to call on somebody, just go ahead and just sub for me. Uh, what's your favorite part in the book? When the burden falls off. When the burden falls off. That's, yeah, that's usually the boom right there, when the burden falls off. And if you don't know what Jeff's talking about, I don't want to give it away. Okay. <laughs> Kind of climax of the whole story. Yeah. Anybody else? Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair. Yes. Is that Vanity Fair? Uh, I was gonna say Downing Castle. Downing Castle. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the places. I'll just say we're all we've all been there, or we are there, or we're coming out of there. You know, it's kind of like a lot of that. Anything else? 
jumps to your mind. Yeah, my favorite part is the uh, interpreter. Uh, that, that part. Yes, I love the interpreters. Out. Oh, yeah, the last two ones. The guy in the cage. Oh, sorry, we're giving this away. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's going to scare you. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you're giving it away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the guy in the cage is Oh, I know. The guy in the cage. Yeah. Scared. Okay, yeah, so, yeah, there's a lot to that. So I agree with you 100%. Yeah, so anyway, when we get done with this whole thing, you're going to have favorite parts. Okay, and there'll be parts that are going to scare the heebie-jeebies out of you. Okay, so, um, in a good way. So historical reasons. Okay, we already talked about it's a classic. It's a masterpiece. This is on page two of your outline if you have that. Um, I've got quotes here from historical people that you may have heard of. An uh, old guy named Benjamin Franklin. Okay. Uh, from a child, I was fond of reading, and all the, mon all the, little, all of the little money that came in my hands was uh, even, ever laid out on, in books. Uh, pleased with the Pilgrim's Progress, my first recollection was of John Bunyan's works in separate little volumes. Okay, so of course, the Franklin I'm sure that, that took. Uh, George Whitfield. A lot of you guys are very familiar with George Whitfield. Uh, it smells of the prison. It was written when the author was confined in Bedford Jail, and ministers never write or preach so well when under the cross. Mm, can underline that. Uh, the spirit of Christ of, of and of glory then rests upon them. Uh, you have here, too, uh, a couple quotes here. Uh, you have from the very famous quote about John Owen. And I, you probably, for those of you who have read about Pilgrim's Progress or John Bunyan, uh, Owen was a contemporary of uh, John, uh, John Bunyan. Uh, John Owen, very famous Puritan. Right? You, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of stuff here. And so um, in England, there was a time where we're talking about where um, we're going to talk about a civil unrest that happens in England at the time. And, and Bunyan was basically in a, uh, imprisoned for 12 years. And so and he's a tinker. He's basically uneducated. Uh, he's poor. Uh, he's, uh, he's basically marginalized. And so here's John Owen. John Owen is highly intelligent, highly educated at the higher echelons of, uh, the, of the class of, of the church and of education and so on. And the king at the time, Charles II, I believe, asks him, says here, uh, why John Owen, a great scholar, would want to hear an uneducated tinker preach. And I love the quote here. Owen says, I would willingly exchange my learning for the tinker's power of touching men's hearts. Right? So those who like to sh want to share the gospel or preach the gospel, you understand what he's talking about. Because with Owen, it's one of those examples where the Holy Spirit rests upon someone in a very, very special way. All right? But they don't have the education. They don't have uh, you know, the pedigree, so to speak. But when, when they're ministering, when they're preaching, when they're, uh, uh, you know, people recognize, again, something supernatural. It's something different. I mean, literally, when the crowds will be coming to hear this tinker, Right, this this uh, this nobody. Um, people are um, they just walk away with um, uh, again. Uh, God would save people. God would move. Right. So again, it's kind of an interesting. It's a interesting comment there too. You have here too uh, pictures. Well, they're both they're both buried up on the They are. In fact, there's a whole bunch of uh, yeah, because right. that was that was originally. I'm oh, sorry. We're yeah we're getting into yes sorry. yeah sorry yeah get, get me diverted here yeah. Um, you from Spurgeon. Uh, pictures from the Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, it says, next to the Bible, the book I value most is uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, I believe I've read through it at least 100 times. So there's that, that classic thing again. When you can read it 100 times and get something out of it, it tells you there's something of, of the uh, Lord there. And then he goes on to the next quote from Spurgeon. He says, I would quote John Bunyan as an instance of what, what I mean. I read anything of his, and you will see that it's almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read it until his very soul was saturated with scripture. Okay, and that's one point I've been making here again about the example of Bunyan is that he's a Bible guy. Okay, he's a Bible guy. Okay, and what's a Bible guy? 
It's not a person just carries around their Bible, but the, the, when you're saturated, I mean, you think about someone who likes to, it's Labor Day, you think about when you marinate some ribs, all right, something, you're, you're soaked in it, again. And this idea with the Puritans and Bunyan is that um, the Word of God was precious to them. They, they meditated upon it. They were in it all the time. They didn't have a lot of, they had a lot of distractions and things that were going on, but they were, um, it's amazing, again, the, um, just when they talked, when they, their sermons, uh, their tracts, um, all that, just how rich it was in Scripture over and over and over again. And so that's what kind of uh, Spurgeon's alluding to there. And though his writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us his pilgrim's progress without continually making us feel and say, why? This man is a living Bible. Okay? And again, I'd be interested if anybody ever say that about us, that that person is a living Bible. Right? Um, prick him anywhere. His blood is Biblin. Biblin? Biblin? Okay. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the word of God. I commend his example to you, beloved. Yeah. So I think, again, that's a model uh, that's really, really super cool. George MacDonald, you have a quote there from him, too. Um, kind of see if I can just summarize that a little bit for the sake of time. Uh, yeah, I'm just, let's just go move to page three here. Yeah, but on the second paragraph, it, says, it talks about the importance of this, as far as the, uh, the popularity of the Pilgrim's Progress. Mentions here by 1740, approximately 155 editions of, of Bunyan's dozen bestsellers have been issued. Uh, Bunyan wrote about 30, anywhere from, I think, about 36 books. Uh, the Pilgrim's Progress, though, it was pirated. Uh, pretty much after he, uh, it was Owen who actually set him up with his publisher. And then uh, the, the original proceeds Bunyan did get, but all these counterfeit copies were going out, and pretty much when he died, he ha didn't have a whole lot to his name. And so, even though it was extremely popular, he didn't make any money off of it, really, at all. And, and for Bunyan, that would have been the, the purpose anyway. Uh, you go down a couple sentences down here. Until recently, the sales of no other book except the Bible have exceeded it. Uh, it has followed the Bible to almost every land and has been translated to over 200 languages and so on and so forth. And it's interesting, that last line there. In 1986, 200,000 copies of the Pilgrim's Progress were printed in Chinese as a sample of Western literature and culture, and they sold out in three days. So... Now, theological reasons. Here we go. Let's talk about it as an allegory. Okay. Now, again, allegories are interesting, right? Because we like straightforward narrative. We like, uh, again, uh, you know, uh, when we read something using usual rules of grammar, and you read it, you know, and you, and you interpret it, and things like that. Um, allegory is can be tricky. Okay. Allegory can be tricky. Why can it be tricky? You know, an allegory. I have a definition of allegory at the bottom of the page. If you know what an allegory is, it can be interpreted in different ways. It can be interpreted in different ways. That's right. And so, um, historically, you know, the church is kind of, you know, allegory is a genre in the Bible. It's okay, so that's, uh, it's there. But um, the cool thing about the Pilgrim's Progress most of the time is that Bunyan explains what he means, all right? Uh, and not just maybe in the, the story itself, but his other writings. Um, he's going to go back and touch on certain things, and certain, and so he'll. If you, that's why you have to kind of build a little bit of a scholar and read some of the other things he wrote and go, oh, that's what he, what he probably meant. Um, but with allegory, again, it can be we read something, uh, it can be multi-layered, okay? And so that leads us to our next little line there. Recognizing the interpretive challenges of setting the Pilgrim's Progress. There's a right way and a wrong way to deal with the allegorical aspect of the Pilgrim's Progress. The wrong way is to slight the literal, physical action, uh, level of action on the premise that the religious meaning is all that really matters. The right way to abandon ourselves to the story qualities of, sorry, sorry the right way to, is to abandon ourselves to the story qualities of the work and let the second level of understanding grow out that, that narrative experience. 
Giant Despair, which we mentioned before, first of all, needs to be a terrifying giant in our imagination. I like that little line there, okay? Is that you need to have an imagination reading Pilgrim's Progress, okay? And that's a little bit of a problem with us these days is our imaginations are a little bit weak, okay? And so when you enter into that world and you get into it, that's one reason why it kind of grips you and it speaks to you again because it's just different, all right, compared to sometimes when you study theology and you're hearing certain things, again, it's a little more abstract. It's harder to understand. Pilgrim's Progress fleshes out a lot of these things, these, these uh, concepts uh, that just kind of sticks with us. And then it goes on to say about John, the next line there, and then, giant despair, becomes a picture of psychological and theological realities. It goes on to say here, allegory can be, easily become reductionistic, but this need not happen. For example, a character with the allegorical name of talkative Okay, his, I love talkative. Okay, all these characters. Okay, talkative is immediately recognizable to us. He isn't someone who talks too much. Talkative. Okay, um, but the Bunyan magic is such that talkative is simultaneously a a person personality type, b a social type, the overly talkative person who quickly becomes a social pest. Maybe you know a few of those, and c a spiritual reality, someone who substitutes talk for genuine faith and Christian action. All right. The alcohol names of Bunyan's characters should not lull us into thinking they're one-dimensional. Right? So this is, again, the richness part. Again, when you study Pilgrim's Progress, it's just not surface level. Right? Yeah, you talkative, you can see, oh, yeah, this guy talks too much. He's annoying. He's getting on the nerves of the characters, right? But there's more to it than just that. Right? Sometimes you have to peel it away. And a lot of times with Bunyan, he's quoting scripture. He's, he's telling us what, what the lesson is with this. All right? So um, I do like the very last line here. Um, this, this, uh, this carries over to page four here. John Newton, John Newton, right? Inventor of, not inventor, I was gonna say the Fig Newton, but that's not true. Um, sorry, just wait so you guys are awake. Um, John Bunyan, very famous pastor, writer, composer, Amazing Grace, right? He actually did a, a, a work, of interpretive work on the Pilgrim's Progress and did a preface on that uh, in 1776. Okay, 1776. Okay, all right. So, and I agree with with, uh, Bunyan, uh, with Newton here. He says, as many persons who have read this allegory, though they find benefit from the whole, are at a loss to determine the author's meaning in some particular parts of, of his representation. An addition contains some brief notes to illustrate the more difficult passages that has long been desired. An attempt of this kind is now submitted to the public. The annotator does not pretend to be positive that he has always precisely taken up the thought that the author had in mind at the time of writing, though he thinks there are but a few places in which he's in danger of greatly missing it. He hopes, however, that he has proposed no illustration that will be found agreeable to the analogy of faith and the experience of believers. Okay, now that's my go-to, right? Okay, is that I'm gonna do the best I can to interpret Bunyan, Pilgrim's Pride correctly, okay? But it's not, it's not scripture. It's not infallible. My interpretation is not infallible. I'm not claiming inerrancy in this case. Now, when he quotes, again, what the scripture is, Make, don't misunderstand me here, but there's going to be certain scenes, certain individuals, and so on that you can take a couple different ways. All right, so you just got to work with me here. If you don't agree with me on this uh, on a certain point, that's fine. But you know, off, different people better than me have said, you know, again, this it can be a challenge. All right. Now, devotional reasons. Okay, this the story depicts many of the common struggles and blessings that Christians experience as they seek to follow the Christian life. Um, and that's true. You know, uh, I always think about um, the, the Christian life, all right? Uh, thinking back when I was a kid or thinking back as a young adult and trying to get a handle on what, is, what this is, what this is. 
know, is my life just a bit of just a fragment of experiences just kind of, they're not barely, they're barely connected. They really don't make any sense. There's no pattern to them. It's just all kind of jumbled together. And, um, you know, I'm, it makes no sense. There's no, there's no reason why. Even as a Christian, it feels like you kind of stumble into one day into the next, and you're not really sure, you know, what the point of it all sometimes, okay? The whole point about the Pilgrim's Progress is that, you know, we'll stress over it, is that every Christian is a pilgrim. Okay? Now, we've got to say what, what a pilgrim is, right? Because I'm assuming that you know, right? We're not talking about Pilgrim's Pride, which no longer is around anymore, I don't think, okay? We're not talking about, um, it's kind of, you think of the medieval ages when people go on pilgrimages, right? So when we say that you're, we're a pilgrim, what does that mean? Huh? A stranger in the Stranger in the land, okay. What else? On a journey. Who said that? Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. We're on a journey. That's right. We're all on a journey. We're all on a journey. Okay, right now we are on, hopefully, that straight path. We're on that near, we're on the King's Highway, all right? And we're on the journey, and we're traveling. The only pilgrim's progress is that we're making progress, right? We're moving forward. Every single day, we're moving forward, even though we don't feel like it, because we might be stuck on one of these, these, these places that Pilgrim talks about, all right? But the point is, is that we're on this journey on this trip, on this uh, pilgrimage, uh, from beginning to end. We, we come out of the, the city of destruction, and we're on our way to the celestial city. And we're all on that journey, right? And this idea again is that, uh, this idea again is that there, there's a um, this story, this story um, is all about how God is with us, and God is teaching us, and God is using us, and God will eventually bring us home, Right? And so I love, again, the, the, the warnings and the lessons and the, 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 the devotional aspect to it. And just like uh, uh, Breck mentioned again about the, the, ca uh, the uh, Castle of Despair, Downing Castle, um, you know, there's lots of places, again, where there are times where there's doubt and there's a depression and there's struggle. And there's all these things that, that Bunyan talks about you can connect with. I know I can connect with, all right? And the reason I bring this up is that part of the problem a lot of times in the Christian life and the Christian culture is that if you become a Christian, the story is that pretty much, you know, uh, we have a Christianized version of the American dream, right? To become a Christian pretty much is that God now is obligated in some way, and I'm being careful when I use the word obligated, uh, to give me again a good life. Right, I become a Christian, and therefore now there'll be some kind of prosperity. There'll be some kind of happiness. Basically, God's going to solve my problems. Uh, he's going to get me a good wife, and I'll have a great children, and uh, I'm going to have a good job, and my, I'm going to enjoy myself, and I'll have a nice house, and eventually, you know, um, I'll do a few good things, go to church, and eventually die and go to heaven. The life is the Christian life is basically one of a bed of a bed of roses. Or, you know, it's, it's comfortable. It's easy. It's uh, um, it's, it's, it's fun, right? And the Pilgrim's Progress is it's one of warfare, right? It's one of battle. It's one of disappointment. It's of pain and tears and difficulties. And we don't, that doesn't sell in our culture, right? It doesn't sell, right? You know, come to Jesus and he solves all your problems. Come to Jesus and, and basically um, all, the, all the, the discouragement and pain somehow, um, you know, God's going to some magically just going to just make it go away. And the Pilgrim's Progress, again, is just sometimes just brutal. It's hard. Now, again, in that 
suffering and in those difficulties, again, you see God's rescue and you see God's care and God's love and God's faithfulness and God's intervention in, in, in miraculous ways. Okay? And again, that's the good news. We're going to be talking about it. It's a balance. All right? And my point here is that you already know life is hard. Anyone, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with me here. So Pilgrim's Progress is very realistic in how it portrays that. And, we, and I think, again, it gives a very uh, a maturity to it, uh, not just to ourselves, but to our children as well. One of the things we find, at least I find, is that we're trying to prepare the next generation. Okay, we're trying to prepare the next generation. You are aware of that, right? Okay? And so, again, what does the Christian life look like? What is the, in the world that they're living through that they're going through this wilderness and they're, going to, they're trying to, to be on that narrow path, and they have all these temptations and all these different, different situations where it's difficult and hard, and there's these challenges and these dangers. Okay? How do we prepare them for that? And Pilgrim's Progress reflects that. Right? So I, I do like that devotional aspect to that. Um, if you go on to a little bit about his life, to his life. Now, I, I'm not going to go through all of this because I know it looks like, oh, there's a lot of dates, and I'm not testing you on the dates, so you're, you're good there. Um, He's born in 1628, so he's born in the 17th century. Okay, so we think of the Puritan age, England, jolly old England, and all that kind of stuff. Um, he, so his, his, his mom and dad, pretty much his dad was a tinker. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Uh, pretty much a poor family for the most part. Doesn't have a lot of education. Um, in six, uh, 1644, um, at 16 years old, uh, he's recruited into the, the, the parliamentary army. And what's going on in England at the time is there's civil war. Okay, this really interesting time in England's history is you got uh, Charles I, who's a jerk, and um, uh, he <laughs> it's a jerk. And so, um, and you have Parliament, which again the Puritan movement has pretty much now dominated Parliament. All right, and so you have this this whole thing about political power, and uh, where pretty much the Parliament and the King basically can't agree, and so pretty much what happens is that they go to war, civil war, and so. Um, you have with the, the Parliament, you have Oliver Cromwell, you guys are familiar with that name. He'll lead the New Model Army against the King's forces, the royal forces, and so on. And poor little 16-year-old uh, John Bunyan is recruited to, to fight for, the par for Parliament. He doesn't see a lot of action, apparently. It's only like two years he's in there. They have a little bit of story where perhaps he was in a little bit of danger, but it doesn't seem to be a whole lot of uh, stuff going on. Now, later on, politically, it's going to affect him. Um, it'll go on here. He comes back home. He's basically a wild child. I know none of you know what that means, wild child. Uh, he's, a, he's a young man who pretty much, again, he's not a Christian. Uh, he's kind of a troublemaker uh, and all that. He, his father basically uh, is a tinker, so he's going to be a tinker too. That's the thing with the Middle Ages. Whatever your father did, you will also be that same thing. A tinker, anyone know what a tinker is? You tinker with something? It's not the same thing. Um, What's that? Jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and in this case here, usually you're a mender. Or it's this idea that if you had metal pots and pans, something like that, they're broke, or there was a hole in whatever. Here comes the tinker, all right? And, he, and sometimes he would have an anvil on his back, okay? That's a foreshadowing thing, okay? Um, and the idea is that he'd come with his little hammer and whatever, his tools and so on, and he would fix things, right? So his dad did that, and then so uh, Bunyan would basically be apprenticed to do that. Um, uh, in 1645, this is on page 5, um, his mom and his uh, sister die at a relatively early age. Um, and then in 1649, uh, John Bunyan marries his first wife. Now, his first wife was an orphan. She was poor. Uh, she, they brought, and it's interesting when, they, when people get married, it's how little they bring into those homes if you're, if you're poor uh, compared to the, uh, the upper crust. She brings two books with her, two religious books, 
Okay, that Bunyan, uh, so here's my wedding gift to you. Uh, and it was the plain man. The plain man's uh, pathway to heaven was one book, and the second one was, one was called the practice of piety. Um, and it mentions here is that he, you know, he would read them a little bit. But he really wasn't, you know, very serious about religion at all. Um, I do like this whole idea is that um, if you come jump a couple sentences down there, a paragraph down there, it says Bunyan's conscience was quickened upon overhearing a conversation of three or four women who were sitting at a doorway. They talked about a new birth, the work of God in their hearts, how they were convinced of their sin, and how God visited their, their souls. Bunyan was impressed with their joy. His soul was so deeply troubled that he realized that the idea of a new birth was not part of his experience. So here's Bunyan as a young married man. Somehow, someway, he's either, uh, I can't remember if he's walking by or he's uh, just in the vicinity of some women who are talking about Jesus. They're talking about, they're, they're, they're born again, right? And I don't know if you could just picture that again, because you've ever... Uh, had that experience where someone who really knows Christ, who's really born again, and you listen to them and you, and you realize, I don't got that. That's not my experience. There's, there's something missing in my life, right? And that's Bunyan pretty much as he realizes there's something stirring within him uh, that is making him restless. Now, um, if you go down to uh, down the very bottom here, I'm jumping a little bit. 1653, uh, he, he's going to go move to Bedford, and Bedford's kind of going to be the, the village where he's going to be associated with, and he's going to join a, a, a church uh, led by a pastor John uh, Gifford, and um, pretty much the Bunyan will be associated with what we call the separatist movement. Get okay, a separate. He's a and the, the, the words typically associated with with Bunyan's type of Christianity in England at the time is nonconformist, dissenting, or separatist. And they all kind of mean the same thing. Uh, just keep the idea here is that the Church of England rules. Okay, you have a state church, the Church of England, and it's Anglican. And the idea being is that if you were an English person, you were required by law to attend to go to church. Okay, if you did not go to church, they would find you, or they'd f figure out, find that out, and you'd be fined, or you could be in prison if you didn't go to church. Now, so that's that whole issue there. And there, what the Puritans were saying, no, that the, the Church of England is compromised. Okay, it's that's why they're called Puritans because they wanted to purify the Church of England. They were saying again, it had unbiblical practices, it was too um, compromising with, with Roman Catholicism and so on, so they wouldn't go. And they separated themselves from the Church of England and suffered persecution because of that. And on top of that, though, if you were a pastor, if you were an evangelist and so on, um, that was a second strike against you because you had to have a license to preach. And so the only way you get a license to preach is you had to be ordained through the Church of England. And so if you were not ordained by the Church of England and you were preaching uh, to a congregation or you were evangelist like Bunyan, um, then they would find you and they would imprison you. And they could do a lot of different things. They, some of them died. Some were hanged and so on. So uh, Bunyan is going to eventually, uh, his relationship with the Church of England is uh, going to be a, a problem, like a lot of the Puritans. Um, he goes on here, uh, 1657, he's formally recognized as a preacher. And a lot of times the reason for that is that um, Gifford's going to die. Okay? His, his pastor's going to die, and then uh, Bunyan's going to be asked to preach. Okay? And this is this really cool thing is that when, you know, here's the tinker, here's someone that they, they know, but again, uh, he steps into that role, and they immediately recognize God's hand upon him, okay, that God's calling upon him. And so he's, by the congregation, he's ordained or recognized by the congregation to be uh, the preacher, and of course, he'll be preaching in other places as well. Um, what happens in 1660 is that uh, England's history, what happens, you had the war, you had the civil war in England. Well, um, the, the parliament's going to win, 
and Charles I is going to be beheaded, okay, which is a big, big deal in English history. Because okay? so, uh, France, they do it all the time. But England, not so much. Okay? Um, and so what happens, though, Cromwell will rule. Uh, the only time in England's history they were a republic is during this whole time period while Cromwell is still alive. But the, the Puritan political movement is crumbling. Okay? It's, there's a lot of dissension. And so when Cromwell dies, his, his son Richard will try to take over. He, doesn't, he, he fails. So by 1660, they want to bring the king back. They'll bring basically Charles uh, the first son. Okay? There's a whole story there. So in 1660, it's called the Great Restoration. Everything's great, the Great Restoration. And so they bring him back. And so pretty much what's going to happen two years later in 62 is called the Act of Uniformity. Where pretty much the, 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 the Anglican Church, the Church of England, declares war on all the Puritan congregations. Pretty much saying you need to conform. You need to you be uh, basically you have to if you're going to be if you have to be ordained through the Church of England and you have to only use the Book of Common Prayer to uh, for church services. And the parents said we're not going to do it. And so that same year you have the Great Rejection. Everything's great. The Great Rejection. Okay, where all these pastors, thousands of them, were kicked out of their churches. And if they were caught preaching, they were arrested and imprisoned. And Bunyan's all in this, this group. And by the way, Baxter, uh, you guys know these, the, the big names. You know, Thomas Watson, Baxter, all these guys are gone. They're basically kicked out of their churches. All right? um, so I already have there on 62. Uh, 66, he publishes Grace Abounding, the Chief of Sinners. And then, of course, and what's going to happen? He's gonna be, Bunyan's going to be jailed. All right? Now, the, the jail is interesting because we don't want to overstate it or understate it. Jail is, is not good. <laughs> okay? You're imprisoned. is not good. But Bunyan's situation was unusual because they never locked the door, okay? which is kind of – and they would sometimes let Bunyan go home uh, to see his family or to uh, preach. Okay? Just they're kind of like, just come back. Just come back. And he would always come back. All right? But the point was that there, there was other times where they were more strict with his imprisonment. And there was a, the, 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 the local authority said, look, if you don't want this harassment, if you don't want to, something worse to happen to you, we only have one stipulation. And what do you think the stipulation was? Stop preaching. Stop preaching. That's right. Okay. And I always think about that again because, again, in church history, you know, how many times do the, the authorities say to you, you know, stop evangelizing, stop praying? Think of Daniel, Old Testament here, right? <coughs> And the idea, of course, is the people of God have to obey God. We have to obey God rather than men, right? Is a very, very important principle today, right? We must obey God rather than men, whatever the cost. And Bunyan, of course, is, is, is living that out. And so, and, and it's hard for him because what will happen is that his first wife will die. I think she, uh, they get married when he's about 20 years old. Ten years later, she dies. He has four children. One of them is blind. And so... His second wife, he remarries really quickly. I think her name was Mary. And, um, but his family's poor. And so he's got to figure out some way while he's in prison to somehow make ends meet. Um, and so it's a struggle. There's a lot of pressure on him for that. And while he's in prison, he starts writing The Pilgrim's Progress. Right? Um, going on down to, uh, go down to uh, 1670. Oh, I'm sorry, even before that. Uh, okay, the date when The Pilgrim's Progress is, is completed and published. Okay, this is real easy for you. It's 1678. Okay, 1678. 1678. Okay, anybody can remember that. Okay, so, all right, we'll do a test next week on this. So, and I'm, I'm dead serious about that. Okay, so, um, he, 
Bunny gets out, he gets released, uh, and lots of interesting stories about how he gets out. Eventually, there'll be some type of religious toleration, but it's always like it's changing. It depends on who's in parliament, what's going on politically, and so they say, you're free, and then they'll say, we're arresting you again. No, you're free, we're arresting you again, okay? And so he's going back and forth a little bit there, but he will go out and preach, and again, his reputation as a preacher, and that's kind of his big, he's a great writer, but his reputation as a preacher is, 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 seems to be predominant there. Um, if you get down to the next page over here on page 7, um, he will die in 1688. Okay? The Great Restoration is called. <laughs> okay? is that where, that's when um, you'll have a James. Well, basically, there'll be religious toleration in England finally, and it's the year that Bunyan dies. Okay? Uh, the, book mentioned, the, the little line there says, Bunyan's death at the age of 60, which is my, my age this year, uh, was caused by pneumonia resulting from exposure to drenching rain while Bunyan made a two-day trip on horseback to heal relations between a father and his estranged son. Uh, Bunyan was buried in the famous nonconformist cemetery in London called Bunhill Fields, and like uh, uh, Russ was mentioning there, uh, a lot of famous Puritans are buried there. Okay, that's where you go. If you're going to do the Reformation tour, you've got to go there. All right? um, this is this monument, on this, and the tomb there basically have on both sides of it, they have the picture of the pilgrim. On one side, it's got the burden on one side, and the other side, the, the, bunions, uh, the, bunion. the burden is off his back on there. So it's really kind of cool. All right, any questions up to that point? That was a really rushed Bunyan life story. All right, good. I'm glad to hear it's still enthralled. Okay, so we already mentioned here before the biblical testament of the Christian life is that of pilgrimage. That of pilgrimage, that is pilgrimage, okay? And, we're, um, and you have a number of verses that tie into this, and I, I have a little bit of time. I want to read real quickly, and this is going to be uh, from the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And, and I'm not reading the entire chapter. I'm just reading a section of it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, this chapter, I mean, book of Hebrews is awesome anyway, but that in this chapter is great. But again, the line there, but faith is the assurance. Is the, and that, that word assurance is really, really super important in the Pilgrim's Progress, right? But one description of faith, God-given faith, from, again, being born again, is that the idea is that you know faith is the assurance of things hoped for, things hoped for, and again I love that description again because the question for a Christian what are you hoping for, what are you hoping for, and again ultimately ultimately is the celestial city. Okay, I don't see it yet, but I know because the next line there the conviction of things not seen. I don't see it yet, but it's real. Because a lot of times in the, the Pilgrim's Progress you have these characters who basically challenge uh, Pilgrim and says it's not real, it's your imagination. Um, you know, you're being foolish. Why are you doing this? And does that not apply to our lives today? You're, we are surrounded in a secular culture that says God does not exist. Christianity is foolish. Um, you know, you're being deceived. You're self-deceived and so on. It's not real. So faith, again, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction not seen. Now, they give you different biblical characters in Hebrews 11. But in particular, our dude, our guy, is verse 8, Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was called, which which he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived out as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I mean, pilgrimage and pilgrim's progress is you know encapsulated in that imagery there. All right. He goes on to say here in verse 13, 
all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And it goes on to say here again, talking about the city that God's going to build in verse 816. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And so again, just a first way of challenge and practical application, what difference does it make if we see ourselves as being exiles and strangers in this world? Because far too often, again, and I'm speaking to myself first and foremost, I get far too comfortable here. Far too comfortable here, right? And I get happy reminded over and over and over again, this world ain't my home, I'm just a passing through. God has stuff for me to do here, but this is not my ultimate destination. Don't get too comfortable here. And so there's a lot to this, and Pilgrim's Progress does a great job of reflecting this, and I'm stopping right here. All right, thank you very much, and we'll continue to worship.